Hello and welcome back to the Going Dutch podcast, a look at the wonderful world of German football brought to you by the letter T. Anyway, it was a interesting week of German football. I think it can be more than safe to say that, especially when it comes to the title race and I don't want to give too many spoilers away for what we're going to be talking about in the first half of this episode, though you probably know, but it seems like nobody wants to win it at the moment, which is a bit weird, because I always thought the Bundesliga was something that teams wanted to win, but apparently apparently not anymore. So, yeah, that's been all a bit confusing, but a lot to discuss in the top two tiers. Some of which I don't want to discuss, especially when we go on to this fighter. Who knew you could lose a football match? I mean, really weird, right? But we will discuss everything as per usual. So welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. We're going to start off as we normally do in the Bundesliga. And of course, we can only start in one place. And that is at the Allianz for the game between Bayern Munich and Hoffenheim. And we have always said on this podcast in the past that the worst time to play Bayern is when they're angry and they feel like they've got something to prove. And this is what it felt like entering this weekend. Obviously, last week, in midweek of the Champions League, they lost rather convincingly to City. And that, the Sadio Mane incident, being knocked out of the DFB Pokal by Freiburg, it felt like it was all building up and that they'd probably be really angry and that they would just want to go out and pummel someone. And of course... If you're buying and you just want to go out and smack someone, why not have it be one of the weak clubs in the Bundesliga like Hoffenheim? Heck, when we've talked about Bayern wants to go out and just destroy teams because they're angry with the pass, it's usually been Union Berlin. And Union are way better than Hoffenheim, so surely, after everything that's happened and the fact they're playing Hoffenheim, this was going to be... A demolition. This was going to be absolutely horrific from a Hoffenheim perspective. Instead, what we got was maybe the worst performance of the season from Bayern. They were absolutely terrible in this game. They did score first, a lucky deflection from a Kingsley Coman shot, perfectly setting up Benjamin Pavard to score in the 17th minute. But they were never really able to build on that. They never really did anything that made it look like they were going to score again. And in the 71st minute, Andre Kramovic would score a free kick. Now, in all fairness to Bayern, it was a bit light. But it wasn't an egregiously wrong decision to give the free kick. And Kramovic would hit it into the net. Jan Sommer just about getting some fingertips to it, but not doing enough to be able to stop the ball from going in. And this has started the conversation on Jan Sommer's height again in Bavaria, which, stop. But anyway, yeah, this was a really shocking performance from a Bayern perspective because more than anything else, they just looked lethargic. They didn't seem to have the same energy and drive that we expect from a Bayern Munich side. Some in Germany have said that they didn't look like they cared. That might be a bit harsh, but it's not unreasonable to come to that conclusion. I don't even know if the people who are saying that are saying that they didn't care. It's just that they played in that sort of way that made it look like that. For me, it was just lethargic more than anything else. The mentality around Bayern at the moment isn't great, and it feels like the word mentality is going to come up a lot in this episode, or at least a lot through the opening two matches of the episode. But yeah, obviously this starts with the Mane incident. The Well, actually, it starts with the sacking of Julian Nagelsmann, which was strange. The Mane incident, the defeat to Manchester City in the Champions League. This performance, the Freiburg loss in the DFP Pekalaven Kimmich's over-celebration in the Bundesliga game following that defeat. Oh, also, obviously, going back to the Pokal 
Musiala refusing to shake the hand of Christian Strike. It just feels like the mentality at the club isn't quite right at the moment. And Thomas Tuchel has a tough job on his hands if he wants to turn that mentality around and get Bayern Munich pointing in the correct direction again. I think it's safe to say that a couple of weeks ago, they were dancing at all three weddings. They're now only dancing at one wedding, barring a miracle comeback in the Champions League. So, Tuchel doesn't have as much to focus on as Nagelsmann did, but he does need to turn the dressing room atmosphere around at Bayern and fast to make sure that they don't have any more performances like this where they drop points easily. Thomas Tuchel himself said some interesting things after the game. The most interesting thing that he said was saying that, you know, the performance itself was fine and that, you know, they could have won 2-3-4-1 in another game. I would disagree with that. But the notable thing about what he said was actually to say we would have won 3-1-4-1 if we'd had a Robert Lewandowski up front. And, of course, this summer, Bayern are being linked with every major striker on planet Earth, whether it's Harry Kane, Rando Kalamawani, everyone, really, who isn't Robert Lewandowski. In fact, I'm surprised I've not been linked with, like, a 50 million euro move for Nicholas Fulkrug or something. But it was obviously a notable choice last summer when they decided to not replace Lewandowski with a direct replacement, or let's say to not try to replace Lewandowski with a direct replacement because you can't replace Robert Lewandowski. But instead, you know, sign Sadio Mane and sort of, I feel like this is an American sports term, but replace his production in the aggregate and try and get everyone else to step up to replace him. Sort of a very money ball sort of way to look at things. And maybe they were inspired by Sadio Mane's former club in Liverpool to do that. So, really interesting comments. Obviously, it'll be interesting to see if Bayern do take a different path this summer when it comes to the position of striker. Maybe Musiala blossoms into a real goal scorer. I mean, let's face it, he scored 11 goals in the Bundesliga. It's not exactly a bad striker. But, obviously, he's not meant to be the Lewandowski type in this Bayern side, so... A lot of questions to answer for those at Bayern Munich who have, we'll say, not had the most ideal month. So, obviously, Bayern entered the weekend two points ahead of Borussia Dortmund. And this draw meant that with a win, Dortmund would completely eradicate the gap at the top of the Bundesliga and be on level points with Bayern Munich. And better yet, they're playing Stuttgart. Little old Stuttgart. Stuttgart have only had one good game in the last six months, so this is absolutely fantastic news. And at the time, Bayern had confirmed their draw with Hoffenheim when the full-time whistle went to the Allianz. Dortmund were winning, and Dortmund had a man advantage. In fact, they'd had a man advantage for most of the game. So, you know, three points here we come. <sighs> Right, okay, so let's actually just go for the game in chronological order. Let's try and break it down so that we can understand just how Dortmund this is. It's very Dortmund. It is unbelievably, arguably the most Dortmund ever. Dortmund raced out to a good start in this game. They were 2-0 up after 33 minutes. The first goal coming from Sebastian Haller with a really good cross from Daniel Marlin to set that goal up. And then Marlin himself would score the next goal in the 33rd minute to make it 2-0. Marlin, by the way, four in his last four, so he's really been fantastic for Borussia Dortmund recently. And better yet was to come for Borussia Dortmund because in the space of... Four minutes, Konstantinos Mavropanos would get two yellow cards, getting a red card in the 39th minute. So that meant that Stuttgart, as in near bottom of the table Stuttgart, as in relegation threatened Stuttgart, as in not Bayern Munich Stuttgart, were going to be playing the rest of this game down by two goals and with a man less than Borussia Dortmund. So... 
at that point, Dortmund's chances of winning realistically were like 99%, 99.9%, you know, whatever you want to say. If you were a Stuttgart fan at this point, or you said to a Stuttgart fan, yeah, I think we're going to get something out of this, you'd have been laughed out of the stadium. So, not looking great. But after the second half started, suddenly Stuttgart were playing a lot better. Maybe it was than playing without pressure. It feels unlikely. It feels like there's a much more likely reason, and we'll get on to that later on. But towards the end of the second half, Stuttgart would score two quick-fire goals. The 78th minute, Tangai Kulibali would get the first back. That's how the goal's gone down, but it seemed to me to be more like an Emre Chanon goal because he turned it into his own net. Maybe the shot was on target from Kulibali before that, but... The deflection from Emre Chan sent it in a completely different direction to where it was going in the first place. So I would have put that down as an own goal. But to be honest, I don't think either Chan or Koulibaly will be complaining about the fact that the goal has been given to the Stuttgart player. And then, just six minutes later, in the 84th minute, Joshua Wagnermann would get the second for Stuttgart to all. Despite the fact they'd been playing most of the game at that point with a man less than Borussia Dortmund had, they had managed to come back and potentially snatch a point. However, luckily for Borussia Dortmund, they showed a fighting spirit, a great mentality. In the 93rd minute, Gio Reyna would make it 3-2 to Borussia Dortmund. And that was fantastic news, paired with the fact that the full-time whistle had gone on the Allianz Arena, Bayern had drawn one all with Hoffenheim, so at this point, there is no longer a points gap at the top of the Bundesliga. Dortmund are right back in the title race. And then, in the 97th minute, Dortmund had been trying to run the clock out, they got their running of the clock out horribly wrong, Stuttgart were able to break on the counter. A ball would be crossed into the middle of the box. And the youngster who came on at the beginning of the second half, Sumelia Koulibaly, would completely miss a clearance. The ball just rolling along to him. If he makes even the slightest contact with the ball, he clears it. The full-time whistle goes. We are not talking about this game in depth. And we're not talking about what happens instead because... He misses the ball and it rolls innocently along to Silas, who scores to make it free all. That was the full-time result. Dortmund have the same points gap to Bayern Munich that they did at the beginning of the day, despite the fact that Bayern had drawn with Hoffenheim. You know, sometimes I try not to be biased on this podcast, but as you can tell today, it's just not the day for... Not being biased because, oh my god, what happened? Speaking after the game, Erdin Terzic would call it the most stupid thing to happen to Borussia Dortmund this season. And that's a strong statement considering that this season also contains that collapse against Werder Bremen. So, if this is the most stupid thing to happen this season, which, you know what, I agree with him. I think it is the most stupid thing to happen this season then, yeah, that says a lot. And Terzic has always been good at, you know, not displaying too many emotions and not lambasting his players. That's the main thing. He's not really lambasted his players. This time was different. This time, I think he saw the opening. He saw that Bayern had drawn with Hoffenheim. The chance to really propel them back into the Bundesliga title race was there. And they blew it in the most devastating way possible. And like I said in the buying segment, it came down to mentality more than anything else. This Dortmund side seemed to have a problem. And, well, two problems actually. First of all, when the light shines brightest on them, they just completely collapse. But second of all, I think what was really shown in this game is that they find it too easy to drop down a gear. This is the thing that's made Bayern so good over the last 10 years, is they're absolutely ruthless. If they've scored two, they want three. If they've scored three, they want four. If they've scored four, they want five. And so on and so on. And they don't really stop 
pushing until the game is over. Whereas Dortmund, when they went 2-0 up in this game, when Mavropanos was sent off, it seemed to me like they were more than eager and more than happy to just, you know, coast to the end of the game and just go, right, that's it. We're done, we're happy, we can just coast to victory now. And then they have two goals against them. They luckily get one in the 93rd minute to make it 3-2. And again, they just sort of try and coast through the rest of the game. And I know it's easier said than done to say in the 94th minute, 97th minute, holding on to a one-goal lead, that attack is the best form of defence. But what they did instead just wasn't really good enough. And I think, to be honest, the most frustrating thing for me was actually Marco Voice. And this might be the first time I've ever had a go at Marco Voice on a podcast or just ever in general because he's absolutely fantastic. But as Stuttgart were breaking for what would be the eventual goal, Marco Voice was sort of just jogging back without a care in the world because, you know... It's going to be handled with. We're going to win the game anyway. And he's the captain of the team. He's the most experienced player on the team. He is Mr. Borussia Dortmund. He sets the standards for the rest of the players to follow. Even if he's not the player he used to be, he should be setting those standards. It's not something you would see Manuel Neuer accepting at Bayern Munich. It feels to me like it's not something that Manuel Neuer would be accepting of at Bayern and his sort of idle jog back as Stuttgart broke for the eventual goal was really emblematic of the problems that Borussia Dortmund had in this game. They just took it far too easy at times when they really shouldn't have been taking it easy. If you want to beat Bayern Munich in a title race, you are going to have to be at 100% for the entire season. And Dortmund could not keep that level up for this entire game. And that is why they dropped what could be very valuable points in the title race. Hopefully for Dortmund's young guns, this proves to be a valuable learning lesson for Edin Terzic. This proves to be a valuable learning lesson. He has learnt a lot in the past. This is something else to learn. If you want to look at it glass half full, Bayern screwing up as well means that they're still only two points behind. And in normal circumstances, and if I wasn't a pessimist as a host would be saying, you know, that's still a title race. Of course it's still a title race. They're only two points behind. Even if they enter the last day, two points behind, it'd be a title race. So, looking at it from that perspective, it's not the end of the world. If Bayern had won this week against Hoffenheim and Stuttgart had drawn and the gap expands to four points, then, you know, that's obviously significantly worse than what actually happened. But still, these are the chances and the opportunities that don't come around a lot when your title rival is Bayern and these are the opportunities you need to be taken advantage of and Dortmund just were not able to do it in this game. Still, some teams would kill to have the problems that Borussia Dortmund have. One of those teams being Hertha Berlin who lost 5-2 on Friday against Schalke as a result, Hertha go to bottom of the Bundesliga, replacing Schalke themselves, who were there before. And this game was bad for Hertha Berlin from the beginning. Three minutes in, when they went 1-0 down, Tim Skarker, who of course is on loan from Union Berlin, with a fantastic hit from outside the box, really worth watching. One of the best goals of the weekend in the Bundesliga Skarka would also be involved with the second goal, crossing in for a former Union Berlin player in Marius Bultair as he headed in for Schalke's second. The first half was really good, it was very entertaining and Hertha did threaten a comeback at the end of the first half. 48 minutes on the clock, 3 minutes into out of time when Stefan Jovetic would score an impressive goal himself after dancing around the defence in the box. So, 2-1 at the half-time break, and Hertha Berlin obviously had every chance to come back into it in the second half. That would not happen in the end, just three minutes into the second half. Well, like they'd done in the first half, they scored after three minutes. They scored after three minutes in the second half as well. Simon Terodde marking his final season in Gelsenkirchen with another goal. Maris Bultair would make it 4-1 shortly after, and by shortly after, sorry, I mean half an hour later. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but he chipped the ball over 
Christensen, who decided to go on a bit of an adventure. He was very far out of his box when Voltaire chipped it over him. I don't know quite what he was thinking, a hair-spelling goalkeeper, but, you know, it seems emblematic of hair-spelling season, just rushing out with wild optimism and then seeing everything go wrong afterwards. Hertha did get one back shortly after that goal. Marco Richter finishing off some really good passing play by Hertha Berlin. But in added time, Schalke would score their fifth and final goal. Martin Kaminsky with a great free kick into the top corner for his first goal in the Bundesliga. So 5-2, a decent performance from Schalke. But to be honest, they took advantage of really bad Hertha Berlin defending too many times for it to be considered a great performance. Still, of course, three vital points for Thomas Rice and company in the battle against the drop. They really needed this win. It felt like whoever won this game was going to get a big momentum boost. Whichever side lost this game was going to be absolutely devastating. Of course, it is Hertha Berlin who lost. Actually, before we move on to Hertha, I should say, Ralph Farman started this game in Nets. He wouldn't finish the game. He had an injury Late on in the first half, he would have to be replaced by the former Hertz-Berlin goalkeeper, Alexander Schlowo. Is he actually a former goalkeeper? Is he on loan? I don't know. I should have properly checked. No, no, apparently he is still on loan at Schalke from Hertz-Berlin. But that could be a big loss for Schalke because Ralph Farman, since coming back into the first team in the Volk Thunder has been absolutely sensational for them. He's not been the best keeper in the league, but he has been really strong and a significant upgrade on Schlowo. So, yeah, this this is a very bad injury for Schalke and it could affect their chances of staying up, which is not something I would have expected to be saying at the beginning of the season, but here we are. Anyway... Let's talk about Hertha Berlin then, because good God, everything is bad. They've dropped to bottom of the league, and it is for this reason that they've decided to part company with Sandro Schwartz. It's understandable. It is actually understandable for a team that made a lot of bad decisions. Sometimes they actually do seemingly get it right, though, you know, we'll go on to the fan response in a bit. As Bill Parcells once said, you are what your record says you are. And Hertha Berlin's record says that they are truly terrible. However, I will acknowledge that there is a problem with that. The fans haven't taken it too well because Sandro Schwartz did seem to be a very liked personality at Hertha Berlin, both within the fan base and in the dressing room as well. He sent a letter to the fans after his sacking was confirmed. It seemed really heartfelt and really nice. So, you know, obviously we don't like to see managers get sacks around here. These are people at the end of the day. I do wish Sandro Swartz all the best in whatever he does next. Of course, it is worth pointing out that Hertha's record says that they're bad. But that might not be Sandro Schwartz's fault because they just don't seem to be a Bundesliga side. They don't look like the players there are good enough or will ever be good enough to be a Bundesliga side. That's the problem here. It wasn't really the coach of Sandro Schwartz. It was the team that had been put in place by those above him. So you can understand why fans would be saying, well, hang on, why are we sacking a guy when it's not his fault? It's understandable, though, at the same time, on the flip side, to go, well, we need to do something, anything. And, you know, the old saying goes, you can't sack the team. So this was the only option for them. We'll get into who his replacement is in a bit, but I did hear some comments from Felix McGaff this weekend on Sky in Germany that I thought were particularly apt and accurate to describe the problem at Hertha Berlin. 
He said, quote, the club has learned nothing after staying up last season and immediately fell back into old habits. The willingness to do something better is simply not there. As coach of this club, there's no time to be concerned with players and the team. You have to do everything on your own with no assistance at all. When we won successive games against Augsburg and Stuttgart, everyone was immediately euphoric again instead of carrying on working. But I alone would have been guilty had to been demoted. When I arrived, there was pure hopelessness but no one said anything at all i don't know if that will now get better under pal dardai i can't judge that and it also doesn't preoccupy me unquote and as felix mcgaff said the successor to sandro swartz is pal dardai the man who knows a thing or two about Hertha Berlin. Obviously, he was a player there back in the day, but he has also managed the club on three separate occasions now. Most recently, at the end of the 2020-21 season and the beginning of the 2021-22 season. Since then, he's been working in the academy, working with the youngsters, which is what he was doing before he took over then and before he took over for the first time as well. He really is Mr. Hertha Berlin. He understands the club, he gets the club. Does that mean he's going to be able to keep the club up in the Bundesliga like he did last time? Well, it's hard to say. Like I said, I think the problems with this team are the quality of the team. They're just not a Bundesliga side. They don't look like they're good enough talent-wise to stay up in the division. I would say that the side that he had last time was better than the side that he currently has at Hertha Berlin. So it is going to be a massive challenge for Paul Dardai to keep them up once again. And that really starts this weekend against Werder Bremen. They're at home to Werder. That, for me, is a must-win game because they have more away games now through the end of the season than home games. It's going to be really hard for them to pick up points. And with sides like Hoffenheim and Stuttgart improving around them as well, Bochum, I would say, being a significantly better side as well, it is going to be really hard to stay up. Obviously... It is worth pointing out that when he was in charge last, he was sacked with the club treading water in the Bundesliga. They were above the relegation places, and Freddie Bobic decided to sack him because he didn't think that Dardai would be able to, you know, contribute to this vision of hashtag big city hater, which is hashtag big city delusional. So... It is understandable to bring him back, but like I said, the challenge is going to be absolutely monumental. The poor management is to blame for the state they're in, and I mean the management at the top. It wasn't Sandro Swartz. Paul Dardai does have to work miracles to keep them up now. Werder Bremen 1, Freiburg 2. I mean, honestly, if there's no Nicholas Fulkrug in a game, what's the point of even watching it, right? But I did watch this game, and it was a good game for Freiburg. Eventually, the first half was absolutely beyond pointless, but just one minute into the second half, Werder Bremen would go 1-0 up. Maxi Philipp, the former Freiburg man, scoring on his first Werder start. Really good work by Leonardo Bittencourt to set him up as well. And there weren't a lot of times of the game where Freiburg were great, or even good, but they did have a four-minute period where they would score twice to take all three points from the Vesa Stadion. The first, Roland Salai with a neat volley, and it marked Freiburg's 1,000th goal in the Bundesliga. Absolutely fantastic for the side, of course. Just four minutes after that, they would have goal number 1,001, Salai being the assist maker this time for a Lucas Hilaire header. So Freiburg weren't the best side in this game. I would say Werder were probably the better for two sides. But it's the same that we've known Freiburg for for a while now. They have an ability to grind out results. And it keeps them in the race for potential Champions League qualification. So that's absolutely fantastic for them. What was also fantastic was Maxi Edgerstein getting a really warm welcome on his return to Werder Bremen. He was talking about how weird it was to be back at the Vest Stadion as an away player. But obviously, Edgerstein played a lot of games for Werder Bremen. He was at the club for seven years, made 159 appearances before leaving after Werder were relegated to the Schweizer Bundesliga. So, 
that was nice for him and of course a big three points for Freiburg of the race for European qualification doing better than Union Berlin did they would only draw one all with Bochum Josip Juranovic would continue to be Union Berlin's best player of the second half of the season by scoring a free kick in first half injury time. Absolutely fantastic. Straight into the top corner of the quality we become very accustomed to from Josip Juranovic in his short spell so far in the capital. Kevin Sturgeva would score from the spot in the 55th minute to make it one all after a handball. It was the correct decision from the referee. It was also the correct decision just six minutes later to send off Paul Yakel for a second bookable offence. Union had to play, what, 29 minutes with a man disadvantage, plus added time as well. And it's for that reason that Bochum did have a lot of chances towards the end of the game. But to be honest, they weren't truly threatening enough. In fact... You could say Union still had the better chances. They had the ball in the back of the net as well through Kevin Behrens, but a slight offside disallowed the goal correctly. So, a draw was probably about the correct result in the end. Obviously, Union Berlin fans were disappointed, but to be honest, when you're playing a game with a man disadvantage, then you should really be grateful for a point. Eintracht Frankfurt won, Borussia Mönchengladbach won. Borussia Mönchengladbach really came out of the gate in this game while they would score after 12 minutes through Jonas Hoffman and then they would do nothing through the rest of the game. It's probably worth talking about because we don't talk about home and away form on this show. Neither do we talk about the Australian soap opera home and away. Whether we should or not, I'll leave up to you. If you want to hear that mentioned on future episodes, then please feel free to get in contact and I will almost certainly ignore you. But anyway, when it comes to away form in the Bundesliga this season, Borussia Mönchengladbach have just nine points from 14 games, including the point that they gained in this one. They've been dreadful on the road and after they got that goal through Hoffman, they pretty much just shut down through the rest of the game and to be honest Eintracht Frankfurt really should have had something out of the rest of the game they had so many chances they would get a goal in the 83rd minute to rescue a point Mando Kodomorani continuing his great season for Eintracht Frankfurt but it wasn't enough for a win they'll be kicking themselves they absolutely should have got a win and they would be level on points with by Leverkusen in sixth if they had done so. Of course, they're still in the European battle line track Frankfurt for Borussia Mönchengladbach. They are looking on to next season now. 10th in the league, 36 points from 28 games. They have been the definition of mediocre and there is going to have to be a lot change at the club. Whether Borussia Mönchengladbach like it or not, obviously we already knew that Marcus Taram and Rami Bantabaini were probably leaving in the summer on freeze anyway, but you can add another player to that list now because Lars Stindl has announced that he'll be leaving Borussia Mönchengladbach at the end of the season and it does feel like the end of an era. For fans like me, it'll be weird not seeing Lars Stindl playing week in, week out for Borussia Mönchengladbach. He joined the side in 2015, he's made 216 appearances for them since then he hasn't as of point of recording announced where he's going but all signs point to a return to his boyhood club Karlsruhe in the Spider Bundesliga so it'll be really interesting to see how he does there should he go depending on who you ask it's either very very close to a done deal or it's close to a done deal but everyone seems to be in agreement that he is Almost certainly going to move back to Karlsruhe. And I really hope he does because I do think that would be absolutely fantastic. Anyway, Leipzig 3, Augsburg 2. Timo Werner having a good game in this one. First in a while, he got two goals for Leipzig. Coming in the 32nd and 35th minutes. So that was after he had assisted Kevin Campbell for the opening goal of the game. Augsburg actually had opened the scoring of the fifth minute through Arnie Meyer, but this game very much felt like the game away at Bayern Munich where they took the lead and we all thought they could potentially win for like 30 seconds and then we realised, nah, it's not going to happen, it's Augsburg. 
they did get an extra goal in the 82nd minute, Ruben Vargas, but it wasn't enough. Augsburg continuing to slide towards the relegation places. They have not been in good form recently at all. Just two points from their last five games. At the moment, they are five points clear of the drop with six games to go, so they could very easily be dragged into it, especially when you remember that the sides below them at the moment, Bochum doing much better under Thomas Lech, eight points through their last five games, and Stuttgart looked to be significantly better under Sebastian Herner, so I would be really sweating right now if I was an Augsburg fan. I think we mentioned this on last week's episode. They look like they're doing an impression of Florian Koitfeldt, Werder Bremen, when they were relegated from the Bundesliga back in 2020-21. For Leipzig, meanwhile, they maintain fourth place in the Bundesliga, so good for them. Köln won, Mainz won. Not the most inspiring game of football. Ludovic Jork would open the scoring for Mainz for 17th minute. It's his fifth goal in seven games. He has been absolutely sensational since joining in the January transfer window. Dejan Lubacic would score in the second half to level the scores after some really neat passing play. My favourite moment of the game, to be honest, though, was Hennis the Ninth, the Köln mascot, getting so irritated midway through as... Köln were losing, but he just started ramming his head into a deck chair and knocked it over. It was absolutely fantastic. It's it's what we want to see from the Bundesliga, let's be honest. The draw was the correct result in the end. Neither side playing the most inspiring football, but playing significantly better football than Wolfsburg nil by Leverkusen nil. I'll tell you my favourite part of this game. My favourite part was when it ended, because it was one of the worst games of football I've seen all year. It was absolutely terrible. I remember an episode of the Beautiful Game podcast where we talked about kickers rating system four matches and one game where they'd given the worst possible rating they could and they hadn't given that rating since like 2008 this was in 2021 and honestly this game could be in contention for that worst rating as well I don't know but it was truly awful to watch Anyway, let's have a look at the Bundesliga table then. After 28 match days, Bayern Munich lead the way, 59 points. Two points clear still of Borussia Dortmund on 57. They would be level on points if Dortmund hadn't done a stupid at the end of the match. Union Berlin third on 52, despite their draw against Bochum. Leipzig a fourth on 51, Freiburg a fifth on 50, meaning that there is still a very compelling race for the final two places in the Champions League. The race for the Europa League places is also very exciting as well. Bayer Leverkusen 6th on 44 points. Eintracht Frankfurt 7th on 42. Mainz 8th on 42. Wolfsburg 9th on 40. So any one of them could still get not only into the Europa League places, but of course into the Europa Conference League place as well, which is going to be 7th, I believe, at this point. No, because Stuttgart are still in, right? So if unless Stuttgart win the cup, then seventh will be the Europa Conference League spot. Anyway, the wrong end of the table, Hertz Berlin now bottom 22 points from 28 games. They're two points behind Schalke in 17th, also two points behind Stuttgart in 16th. Bochum on 27 points in 15th. Augsburg on 29 are in 14th. That's the same number that Hoffenheim have in 13th place. Okay, with the Bundesliga segment of the podcast wrapped up, it's time to play the music, it's time to light the lights, it's time to meet the Spiter on the Spiter show tonight. I wasn't going to sing it. I was thinking about singing it, but then I was like, no, I really shouldn't sing it. I watched the defunct TV six-part documentary this weekend about Jim Henson and his career, and I think I've had the Muppets stuck in my head ever since. In fact, I even talked about the Muppets on the most recent episode of the Thousand Hours podcast, though technically that wasn't me who brought it up, so you know, I'm in the clear for that. But yeah, just had the Muppets in my head a lot recently. Anyway, 
Not even the first Jim Hansen reference in the podcast. I opened with a Jim Hansen reference. I wondered if you were able to make the rainbow connection between the two. <laughs> anyway, moving right along, let's actually start talking about the Spider Punch League. And let's start with the, I guess, biggest game, though. I'm sure some of you will disagree, but I don't want to talk about the other game yet. Let's talk about Dusseldorf 1, Darmstadt 0. Emmanuel Leho were getting the only goal of the game early in the second half. Some great passing play from. Everyone in Fortuna Dusseldorf, before he was shot from outside the box, got a slight deflection on its way in. Not as strong as the M.A. Chan deflection for one of the Stuttgart goals we were talking about earlier, but still a notable deflection, we'll say. Darmstadt had 21 shots in this game. Fortuna Dusseldorf had six. So, you know, paper would suggest that this was a game that Darmstadt should have been winning, but the quality we've seen from Darmstadt all season just wasn't there in this game. They probably didn't deserve to get anything overall. I'm sure a lot of Darmstadt fans will disagree, but it wasn't a good performance from them. It was nowhere near their best performance of the season. So that meant that the chasing pack could close the gap down to Darmstadt. And one of those teams did. Hanover 0, Heidenheim 3. A really good performance from Heidenheim away from home. Opening the scoring through Jan Nicholas Best. A really good goal. A half volley that wasn't going to be stopped. Tim Kleindienst would then score the second being played through very well by Best before chipping Ron Robert Zeeler in the Hanover goal. Dennis Tamala would head in the only other goal of the game. All of those goals coming in the first half for Heidenheim. Hanover were much better in the second half, but it was too little too late. They couldn't score anyway, even when given a penalty, which they got in the 82nd minute, but Maxi Byers' attempt was saved by Kevin Muller. It was a really poor shot in all fairness. Obviously, Heidenheim needed this, not only because it meant they could close the gap on Darmstadt, but after one point in their last two games, they weren't playing particularly amazingly. They needed a game where they could turn their form around. This was that game. For Hanover, while they've now lost the last two games by an aggregate score of 9-1, which isn't ideal, to be perfectly honest, but their season's already over, so who cares? Hanover fans, probably. Hanover fans care. Moving on, St. Pauli 1, Eintracht Braunschweig 2. So I had to look at the rule book after this game because I was really confused. But apparently, if you score fewer goals than the opponent, you, hang on, I wrote this down, lose the game. And apparently, if you lose, then you get no points. So that was a surprising thing for me, a very new sensation, obviously. It's not something I am used to at all as a St. Pauli fan. But yeah, this wasn't a good game from St. Pauli. And it's hard to be too harsh to them when they've won 10 in a row before that. But still, this wasn't exactly a fantastic fixture. And it wasn't fantastic from, well, almost the beginning, 39 seconds on the clock when Eintracht Braunschweig took the lead through Maurice Multaup. They'd make it 2-0 in the 25th minute. A quick break from Braunschweig and a good finish from Manuel Winsheimer. 2-0 at that point. To be honest, the game already looked over. Braunschweig didn't do a lot of threatening after that. I think there was one point when Vasily had to make a really good save. But for the most part, 1-0-2-0 up. Braunschweig coasted towards the end of the game and St. Pauli for most of the game didn't look like we were going to get anything at all. They did have a stonewall penalty turned down for handball. I was absolutely stunned by the decision but luckily Yakov Medic would score a minute later so in all likelihood if they get the penalty then Medic doesn't score. That's how I'm viewing it anyway. That was the only goal that St. Pauli were able to get, though. 2-1, they didn't deserve to win the game. Eintracht Braunschweig did deserve to win the game, especially with the intensity they came out with at the beginning of the match. Absolutely fantastic. And it means that they're probably now about one win away from absolutely guaranteeing safety. Obviously, Eintracht Braunschweig have been a yo-yo club between the Zweite Bundesliga and the Dritte League for quite some time now. So... 
maybe this is a good chance for them to stabilise themselves in the surprise for St. Pauli. Six points behind third place now, though, of course. We're going to who they're playing this weekend in our games of the weekend in Topsfield of Ockenander because a lot of you will probably know who they're playing already and a few weeks ago I said that the season would hinge on two games. They've played one of them and won one and now on to the second of those vital games to determine how the season goes. Kaiserslautern 2, Hamburger 0. Both goals coming in the closing 20 minutes of the game for Kaiserslautern. The first, a tap-in from Terence Boyd that only stood because Rice had done a really good job for HSV, a keeper of the ball in play. But as he did so, because the ball was going out for Kaiserslautern throwing, he was able to keep it in play just about, but he gave it straight to a Kaiserslautern attacker, I believe, it was Jan Zimmer who raced straight up the field and would assist Boyd for his goal. The second of the game coming from Amanapoku in the 85th minute. So they didn't get their goal scoring started until the 71st minute. But to be honest, Kai Slouten were far the better side in this game. HSV really poor, didn't really generate a lot of chances and um, they did have a few defensive screw-ups that really should have been capitalised on by Kaiserslautern. There was one point when Daniel Hoy Fernandez, who I have said many times before is arguably the best goalkeeper in the Spider Bundesliga, but he decided to go on a bit of an adventure, kind of like Oliver Christensen in the Bundesliga for Hertha Berlin. So yeah, HSV really didn't deserve anything from this game. And they've lost second place in the Spider Bundesliga because of their defeat paired with Heidenheim's victory over Hanover. So back down into third place and still all to play for, obviously, because six games to go, they're only one point behind Heidenheim. But they do want to turn things around with their next game and you probably know who they're playing. Karlsruhe 4, Armenia Bielefeld 2. Definitely one of the more interesting games from the Spider Bundesliga this weekend which was not something I was expecting because it was a game between Karlsruhe and Armenia Bielefeld. Scoring opened at the ninth minute from the penalty spot, a clear handball from Sebastian Young, scored by Robin Hack. And to be honest, Bielefeld could have very easily run away with the game after that. They hit the woodwork at least three times after that goal, maybe four times, but definitely three at the very minimum. And, you know, if those go in, then it's 4-0 at that point, maybe 5-0. And the game's, of course, 100% over. What happened instead is that Karlsruhe would get the next goal. Simeone Rapp with a header. Bielefeld would then hit the post again after that. So that's now... No, no, it was three times four. So it's four times they've hit the woodwork at this point. So, you know, just absolute super ultra mega fun and at that point Karlsruhe got a penalty of their own seemed a bit more like than the Bielefeld penalty in all fairness scored by Marvin Wanitzek a player that listeners to the Thousand Hours podcast will know because I signed him for Tennis Borussia Berlin plug Anyway, Mikhail Kaufman would then make it 3-1, breaking away and slotting through the legs of Martin Freisel. Brian Lasme would cut the lead by cutting inside his defender and managing to slot into the net, not hitting the post. Yay! Bielefeld had figured out how to not hit the post by this point, but it was too little too late because just three minutes after Brian Lasme would make it 3-2, Marvin Wanitzek would make it 4-2, an amazing hit straight into the top corner. Easily the best goal of the game and maybe the best goal of the weekend as well. Go and have a look at it if you haven't had the chance to do so yet. Karlsruhe obviously did well to score four goals and definitely deserved something from this game, but Bielefeld hit the post four times. I mean, just at some point, or would work, I should say, because I think at least one or two of them hit the bar and the others hit the post. At some point, you've just got to feel like the football gods hate you, and I'm sure that's what Bielefeld fans felt like after this game. They could have scored three, four, five goals quite easily in this game, but 
the nets just a bit too small for them, it turned out in the end. Magdeburg won Sandhausen 2, the first game after the long and tenured stint of Thomas Aval came to an end. I'm sure Sandhausen fans will be able to remember a lot about his fantastic six-game stint. Last week I said that two managers would be taking the helm at Sandhausen on an interim basis. It now looks like only one manager is Gerhard Kleppinger taking over for the rest of the season. And he saw a win in his first game in charge of the relegation-threatened club. Dario Dumic scoring at either side of half to give Sandhausen a 2-0 lead. Neither one had particularly good Magdeburg defending. I'm starting to wonder if Jamie Lawrence is the world beater, but my football manager save made him look like he is. Anyway, Magdeburg, before there was a foul on Conde in the build-up for the second, a lot of controversy, a lot of shouting, but in my opinion, it was correct that the goal stood because he fouled down far too easily. Christian Puccini did have a goal of the game of the 89th minute for Magdeburg. A far-range hit into the top corner, but it wasn't enough. That could be an absolutely massive win for Sandhausen. Obviously, they're still rooted to the bottom of the Spider Bundesliga table, but they're now only one point behind Hansa Rostock in 17th and only three points away from Jan Regensburg in 16th and five points behind Arminia Bielefeld in 15th. So this has helped them narrow the gap. It could be monumental for their season because all of their relegation rivals lost every team from 17th through 13th, dropping points. The only relegation rival who won was Eintracht Braunschweig <sighs> against St. Pauli. Anyway, <laughs> Paderborn 3, Hansa Rostock 0. Hansa had a man sent off in the 27th minute, Lucas Scherf, for a last-man challenge, pulling back Florence Muslier and preventing a clear goal-scoring opportunity. It was a very blatant red card. It was really surprising that the referee didn't give it immediately. He had to use the help of VAR, which was odd because I saw it and immediately went, well, clearly it's a red card. But... I mean, he got to the right decision in the end, and that's what's most important, right? Funnily enough, when a really, really good side have a man advantage against a really, really bad side, the really, really good side do really, really well. It was complete Paderborn domination. After that, if only a certain side of the Bundesliga, who were black and yellow as opposed to black and blue, could learn from that and, you know, also take advantage of being a man up. We'll just leave that there. Anyway, Maxi Ruhr, Florent Muslier and Felix Platter would score the goals for Paderborn. A convincing win for them, which is not much of a surprise. Do you believe they're back in the promotion battle? Seven points behind third place, Hamburger with six games to go. I would be surprised. I think they, at the very least, have to win all of their matches for them to be promotion contenders. But, you know, maybe that's possible. St. Pauli won 10 in a row. Paderborn can easily win 7 in a row. For Hansa Rostock, obviously a bad weekend for them. Four losses on the bounce now. Helped by the fact that pretty much every other side of the relegation battle also lost this weekend. But still, they were doomed the second that red card came out of the referee's pocket. It was not going to be an easy game for them after that. Greuter Firth 2, Jan Regensburg 1. Turns out it is easy being green. That's like the fourth reference to the Muppets now. Anyway, Firth had an amazing TFO before the game that was inspired by The Last of Us. Really nice. Recommend going and hunting that down on social media. But they did not have a good start to the game once the whistle went. Three minutes into the second half, Princess Ayuwosu would benefit from no Firth defender being able to clear a really not threatening cross. The ball came in and it was just sort of rolling along the ground and you thought surely one of the Firth defenders is going to be able to clear it and none of them did. Gideon Young really should have been able to do like anything with that ball but... He couldn't, and the ball would roll through to Arusu and allow him to score. But, just like the zombies in The Last of Us, Firth would rise from the dead after being 1-0 down and attack their opponents. While in the 66th minute, they would get a penalty for a handball converted 
by Julian Green. Dixon Abiyama would then make it 2-1 in the 77th minute with a neat finish from outside the box. So a good second half after a not inspiring first half. Greuther Firth probably just about deserved to win. They probably were the better side bar that defensive blunder that allowed Jan Magensburg to get their only goal of the game. Greuther Firth up into 10th after three wins in four matches. Meanwhile, Jan Regensburg still in 16th place in the Spider Bundesliga. Final game to mention then, Holstein Kiel 2, Nuremberg 1. The weirdest moment of the weekend was the opening goal in this game. It's really, it's kind of hard to describe, but the ball came back to Peter Jensen in the Nuremberg goals. He went to clear it and it hit the legs of Lewis Holtby and perfectly deflected back into the box and straight into the path of Steven Skribski for him to slot into the net. That was a good example of a football god really smiling down on Holstein Kiel. They were really lucky to get that goal. But then again, that mistake only happens because Lewis Holtby is in the correct position. He's pressing the Nuremberg defence and the Nuremberg keeper, P.T. Jensen, really well. Fabian Riesa would then make it 2-0, volleying back across his body and into the bottom corner. One of the more impressive goals of the weekend. Nuremberg would get one back in the 65th minute when Felix Lurkemper would head in. But just nine minutes later, they'll be down to 10 when Jans Kastrop was sent off for the last man challenge. Clear as day. He kept saying to the referee that he had got the ball. He had not got the ball. Keel were the best side and did more than deserve this win. As a result, two wins on the bounce there up into eighth. Meanwhile, for Nuremberg, only two points from their last four games now. As, well, they're three points clear of Jan Regensburg in 16th, but still not where Nuremberg expected to be this season. Anyway, let's have a look at these fighter Bundesliga table. Then after 28 match days, Darmstadt lead the way. 58 points, 4 points clear of Heidenheim on 54, who are themselves 1 point clear of Hamburger on 53. It's on a 6 point drop down to Fortuna Dusseldorf on 47, which is the same number of points that Pauli have in 5th. Paderborn in 6th have 46 points. At the wrong end of the table, it's still Sandhausen who are bottom despite their win this weekend against Magdeburg, 24 points from 28 games, one point behind Hans of Rostock, 25 in 17th, Jan Regensburg, 16th on 27 points, then Armenia Bielefeld, 15th on 29, Nuremberg, 14th on 30, Magdeburg, 13th on 32, and Eintracht Braunschweig, 12th on 32 points. Okay, it's time to move on to what is presumably to buy Schweinsteiger's favourite part of a podcast if he listens to this podcast, which surely he does, right? It's the Dritter Liga review. Alversberg continue to slip at the top of the Dritter Liga table. They've only won two of our last five games and they lost this weekend 1-0 away at Tobias Schweinsteiger's Osnabrück. So he is, of course, going to be extra happy listening to the podcast this weekend. They had, meanwhile, continuing their search, try and take the Dritter League title off Alversburg. They've now won five on the bounce and have closed the gap at the top down to just four points. They won 2-0 at home to 1860 Munich. Freiburg did win as well this weekend. 4-0 against Zwakau, they're in third place, which means promotion playoff place. Still drops down to fourth, of course, and Saarbrücken are now undefeated in seven after winning 2-0 against Dynamo Dresden, therefore leapfrogging the side in the table. Osdebuck, as mentioned, won 1-0 against Alversburg. Mannheim have won two on the bounce after a 3-0 win away at Essen. So to give you a look in at the race for the promotion playoff spot, Saarbrücken on 56 points, Dino Dresden on 56, Osnabrück on 54 and Mannheim on 54. It really is an exciting race for that promotion playoff place in the Dritter. At the moment, they had six points clear of Saarbrücken with six games to go. 
and Alversberg obviously 10 points clear of Saarbrücken with a game in hand as well. It looks like those two are looking pretty good at the moment for promotion to the Spiter Bundesliga. At the wrong end of the table, Meppen have lost their third game on the bounce, 1-0 against Dortmund Schwey. Schwachau lost 4-0 to Freiburg. Schwey, as mentioned, Oldenburg got a rare win, 2-0 away at Ingolstadt, who are still in fringe relegation contention themselves, so they should probably just be about safe. Bayreuth lost 1-0 to Hallescher, which means Hallescher have now opened up a four-point gap to the relegation places. They are undefeated in seven games now after that win against Bayreuth. Of course, they did draw five on the bounce before these last two wins, but obviously beating Ow 5-2 last time and then winning 1-0 against Bible has taken them from the relegation places and into safety. So Meppen on 24, Zvakau on 28, Oldenburg on 30 and Bible from 31 of the teams of relegation places and it's four points up to Hallescher on 35, Essen on 36, Duisburg and Dortmund on 37 and Ingolstadt on 38. So an Ow on 39 which if they get relegated would be truly shocking. But I don't see that happening. Anyway, let's go into top spiel, the Wochenende, the best games of the weekend, the games you should be aware of. Obviously, it's worth mentioning in midweek, we have the Champions League, Bayern Munich taking on Manchester City in a game that, I'll be honest, if they turn it around and actually go through, will be objectively hilarious because three goals down really shouldn't be doing it. Also, in the Europa League on Thursday, Bayer Leverkusen travelled away to Union Saint-Gilois. Obviously, the first leg finished one all. But let's talk about the weekend's football then. My game of the weekend in the Bundesliga is going to be Augsburg against Stuttgart. This is a really intriguing game. Obviously, Augsburg... One of the worst form sides of the Bundesliga at the moment. We mentioned earlier that they look like they're doing a impression of Florian Koifaltz, Werder Bremen as they slide towards the relegation places. Having previously looked like they were going to be safe, 29 points at the moment and only 5 points clear of the Stuttgart side they are facing who are in 16th. They had an impressive win against Bochum two weeks ago. And then, of course, that draw against Borussia Dortmund. The Sebastian Hernes reign at Stuttgart, getting off to a good start. And this, a really good chance to push themselves in the correct direction whilst dragging the other side into the relegation battle. It is a Friday 8.30 kickoff, all times given in Central European summertime. I got it wrong last week, I'm pretty sure I said Central European time. It's now Central European summertime, of course. If you are in the UK, knock off one hour. The fun doesn't stop there on Friday. Well, actually, the fun does stop there on Friday. But there is another really big game in Germany on Friday. Before that, it is the Hamburg derby in the Spiter Bundesliga. HSV against St. Pauli. Obviously, the importance of this game cannot be underestimated. Hamburg are currently six points clear of their cross-city rivals. But a win for St. Pauli, with all the momentum they've had... Being the best side in the Ruckrunde so far in the Spider Bundesliga, maybe in all of Germany in all fairness, would really launch them into serious promotion contention. HSV, it's fair to say, have been struggling recently, just five points in their last five games. If they get a win here, it will be a massive momentum boost for them in the race for promotion. And of course, they've not been in great form recently, but neither have Heidenheim. So that second place, with them only one point behind, obviously still up for grabs. The weird thing for me, and I know I always come across as pessimistic when previewing the Hamburg derby, but that's only because I am a complete pessimist in this matter. I feel like this is the first Hamburg derby in a very long time when St. Pauli can't really approach you with a win-win mindset because normally you know they're the smaller side and they have less pressure on them in this match but this time the season lives or dies on this performance they are going to be really nervous even if Hamburger lose this game they're still three points clear of St. Pauli and potentially Fortuna Dusseldorf so they've not got as much to worry about relatively speaking so 
I said when we last reviewed the Hamburg derby that St. Pauli have had HSV's number over the last few years precisely because they can enter the game with less pressure and with a win-win mindset. They do not have that this time and obviously it's interesting dash terrifying to see how the boys in brown respond to that. This game is free for everyone to watch. Sky Sports in Germany will be streaming the game on YouTube. And Pierre-Michel Lasogga is going to be there, the former Leeds United striker. Obviously, in this case, he's a former HSV striker, so I'm not expecting the most unbiased commentary. But I'm also not expecting to be able to understand all the commentary because my German is not that good. Ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch, aber nicht gut. But anyway, that is a Friday 6.30 kickoff, 5.30 in the UK. And if you are able to watch this, I highly recommend doing so because it is going to be a really, really big match and also a completely terrifying match for St. Pauli fans like myself. Anyway, in the Dritter Liga, my game of the weekend is Dinamo Dresden against Mannheim, two sides who are very much in the race for that promotion playoff spot. Dinamo Dresden level on points with fourth place Saarbrücken on 56 points. Meanwhile, Mannheim just two points behind. So both sides have everything to play for entering this match. It is a Saturday, two o'clock kickoff. Anyway, that's all the time we have on the Going Deutsch podcast this week. Thank you so much for listening. One more thing to mention before we go. Let's go Kraken. Let's go Kraken. It is the Seattle Kraken's first playoff game tonight for me. They're taking on the Colorado Avalanche, the reigning Stanley Cup champion. So it's going to be a really tough matchup. But to say that I was there to watch the Seattle Kraken's first playoff game, not live, because, you know, I have a sleep cycle and, you know, work commitments and stuff. But to say I was able to watch the Seattle Kraken's first ever playoff game is going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm wearing the shirt at the moment. So, fingers crossed for the Kraken. It's going to be a really tough series against the Avalanche. But hopefully, we can just get a win so we can say that we've seen the Kraken win in the playoffs. That'll be more than enough for me. So, for the time being, I've been Alex Woodward. And until we meet again, let's go Kraken. And I'll be the same.